You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. We're just going to pray for um, Rhiannon as she comes to speak to us. Father God, I just pray that you would be preparing our hearts um, as you've spoken to Rhiannon as she's prepared what is on your heart to share, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for, for her heart, for her love for these people and this church. God, would you bless her um, and bless us as she comes to share. We love you, Lord. Fill her with your spirit. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you very much. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Rhiannon. I'm a member of the... T- at I'm a member of the team here at Manchester Vineyard, um, and if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, it's really lovely to see your wonderful faces. Um, so I wonder this morning, if I was to ask you what colour your best friend's eyes are, would you know the answer to that question off the top of your head without taking a sneaky glance right now? I want you to think of someone you spend quite a lot of time with, someone who's familiar to you, someone whose face you've looked into Many, many times, over many cups of coffee, over many meals. You get the idea. Can you recall the colour of their eyes? Now, some of you may be thinking, well, yeah, of course I can. Others of you, perhaps more like me, who can't even remember the colour of my husband's eyes right now, um, will be thinking, I can remember the colour of their hair, perhaps, or what they were wearing the last time I saw them, um, but definitely not the colour of their eyes. You see, the funny thing with familiar things is that we can think we know them. When we think we already know something, it can stop us really looking and really seeing. And we can miss the goodness and wisdom that's right there in front of us. This morning, I'd like like us to spend some time reflecting on Psalm 23. It's possibly one of the most well-known passages of the Bible and one of the most prevalent in our popular culture. It's been made known by things like the Vicar of Dibley, if you're old enough to have watched that, and the Titanic, and it appears in lyrics of songs by Kanye West, Coolio, U2, and Good Charlotte. Bit of helpful information for you there today. The temptation with this psalm can be to think that we've got it sussed. We know all there is to know. But I want to encourage us to take a second look, and a third, and a fourth to keep coming back, to delve for new meaning and ready ourselves for discovering something that we haven't seen before. Because there's a richness and a depth to this psalm that is wonderful and profound. And as I'll touch on a bit later, these words that are so familiar have been life to me over recent months, and I believe they can do the same for you too. I don't know a lot about making sourdough bread, or any bread for that matter, but the one thing that I've heard is that you can keep the base cultures for sourdough for weeks, even months. Hopefully there's someone else in this room who can corroborate that information. People are nodding. So you can keep coming back to it and make loaf after loaf after loaf. Now I realise this is a bit of a, a stretch, but it's sort of like that with the Bible. We can keep coming back for more and create something new and nourishing each time. The whole Bible is like this, and Psalm 23 is no exception. So we're going to move through it phrase by phrase, theme by theme, and I'm going to try and draw some things out as we go. I'm going to read the psalm, the whole thing, out loud. Pray, and then we'll get going. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. That brings us life and nourishment and hope. And Father, I just pray in this moment that you would ready our hearts to receive that nourishment. That you would shape us and change us as a people through your word. Make us hungry for it. Would we be as clay on the potter's wheel this morning? We pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and help us in receiving you today. Amen. So let's jump straight in. First, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I really think we could start and end here. There's so much richness in these five words alone. Literally, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the Bible repeats this motif, the Lord who is the shepherd, over and over again. It appears in the historical books of the Old Testament, like Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. It's in the minor and major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Micah. We find it in the Gospels, on the lips of Jesus himself, and his followers return to it in Acts, the letters to the churches, and finally in Revelation. There is almost no biblical genre where this motif does not appear, and surely that should catch our attention. It seems that from a biblical perspective, this is an important descriptor that reveals something central to God's character. Echoing other passages in the Old Testament, Isaiah writes this. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Time and again, God is described as the good shepherd who longs to care for his sheep the people of God, and we are the sheep. So let's just ruminate on that for a little while. We are the sheep, a.k.a. we're not the shepherd, and we are the ones in need of shepherding. We do not know our own way and need the guidance of a shepherd to both lead us, sustain us, and care for us. And the biblical writers are really quick to point out that we have an unfortunate tendency to follow the wrong kind of shepherd. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah in particular make a distinction between good and bad shepherds. And sadly, Israel frequently get themselves into a little bit more than a pickle following after the wrong kind of shepherd. You see, it turns out that we need the care and leading of another. And these two themes, care and leading, will come up again, and so keep those in your mind as we continue to make our way through the psalm. I think acknowledging our sheep-likeness can be a bit of a bitter pill to swallow. 
They're not exactly the first on my list when it comes to the animal kingdom. I'm not sure about you guys. There might be some sheep enthusiasts in the room. They're not beautiful to look at, but I love the gentle strength and intelligence of the elephant or the cheeky disposition of the chimpanzee or perhaps the stamina of a horse. All of those would be higher on my list than a sheep. I don't love being compared with such a simple and humble creature. But there's the crux of it. Humility. Are we willing to acknowledge with humility that we are sheep? Are we willing to acknowledge our need of shepherding? You may have heard it said before that all people are worshippers. It's what and who we worship that is up for grabs. And I think you can put that another way. We are all sheep. We are all following something or someone. It's who we are following, who we are being shepherded by, that's up for grabs. And so who is your shepherd? Who or what are you following? And if your answer to that question is Jesus, how are you following him? Back to the psalm, and David goes on to describe the kind of shepherd that God is, to lay out his credentials, credentials. It's kind of like a shepherd's CV, for want of a better way of describing it. Um, perhaps that's a bit irreverent, but you know. Um, so here goes David. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Do you remember those two themes? Care and leadership. God is a shepherd who cares for the needs of his sheep. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And this is expanded beautifully in Ezekiel 34, where he writes this. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land." There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. So God searches for us. He looks after us. He rescues us when we are scattered and leads us to a place where our needs are met. He gives us more than we need. He gives us what is good and what is rich. He heals and he restores. And I love how God has cared for us as a church over the years. The way that he has provided us with spaces to meet, where we can gather together and our children can enjoy time together. I love how he has provided for the 422 project. And if you're new or visiting this morning, 422 is a building that we've been able to take on from the council in order to create a space. 
And I was reading recently that the volunteer hours spent on 422 amount to approximately £300,000 worth of investment, which is just staggering. And last year, within a number of months, we had a significant amount come in through grants amounting to multiple hundreds of thousands of pounds. God has provided and is providing the people who have a heart to invest their time and energy in seeing that project thrive, just like Ness and Shirley and Lucy who were sharing about the kids group that they're starting. It has been a phenomenal undertaking, but God has shown his faithfulness in providing every single step of the way with that project. And personally, I have story after story of God's extravagant care, from the small to the big, from the material to the spiritual, God consistently has demonstrated his care over my life. And an example of that would be that not long after I moved to university, God, in his kindness, revealed some pain in my life that just really needed dealing with and was holding me back. And as I embarked on that journey of healing, he brought me into a church community that loved me, that championed me, and taught me how to walk out that healing. Not long after moving to Manchester, Matty and I were just starting out on married life. And I remember at one point we needed a few things that we just couldn't afford. It was an expensive move to come up here and we didn't have jobs and stuff like that. And Matty was just about to start work and he needed some new shirts. And there were a few other things that we needed too. And so we just asked God for help. And very shortly after those prayers were fired, um, someone sent us a card with a check inside and the amount um, was exactly what we needed right down to the penny. It was incredible. The person wrote in the card that the number had been in their head all week, and they believed it was an amount of money that they needed to give to us. It was an incredible moment for us of seeing God's care and provision for our needs. And I know many of you have stories much like that. We really need his care. And I believe that there is an implicit invitation here to surrender ourselves to the care of the Lord. We can all too easily fall into the trap of spending ourselves on caring for our own needs. However, when we surrender ourselves to the care of the Lord, we are freed and released to think of others, to care for others. Would you just think with me for a moment about how much time, on average and energy and mental real estate you spend on your own needs. It could be thinking about bills that you need to pay or preparing for the future, and the list can go on. Now, I'm not suggesting we all stop paying our bills, not at all, very important to do that. But what if even just 20% of that time was redirected to thinking about the needs of your neighbor next door? What might change in your life? And not only materially, but in the posture of your heart. I think if we're honest, for many of us, thinking and worrying about how to look after ourselves or our loved ones or our stuff takes up far more real estate than we'd actually like it to. As God has taken me on my own personal journey through this amazing psalm, I found new freedom in coming to a place of surrendering my own needs and my own future needs to Jesus. You may feel that is God's invitation to you today to submit to the care of your shepherd. So God is a shepherd who deeply cares for the needs of his sheep. He takes it really, really seriously, and he plots and plans a route to meet those needs. But what else? David goes on this way. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. 
Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So here we have theme number two, leadership. I think there's a bit of a myth going around these days that we lead ourselves. And the truth is, at some point, our formula for life or the course we chart ourselves just doesn't quite work out how we planned. I realise it's potentially not very popular to say, but after giving self-direction myself a really good go for quite a long time, it's not only a personal conviction, but a felt reality of mine that we cannot lead ourselves. But the good news is that it's okay, because the Lord is our shepherd. We are under someone else's care and leadership. His job is to lead, our job is to follow. I think things get quite messy when we try to lead rather than follow. Remember, we are the sheep, and sheep aren't exactly known for their great intelligence or sense of direction. And if that wasn't difficult enough for us to swallow, I think here's where the rubber really hits the road. We will be led where he wants to go, which means in all likelihood at some point, we will be led somewhere we would rather not go or we actively don't want to go. I'm just going to repeat that because I think it's a really important thing for us to let settle into our hearts. We will be led where he wants to go, which means in all likelihood, at some point, we will be led somewhere we don't want to go. I um, have the great joy and privilege of living just south of here in a place called Levenshoom. No? Great. Um, I'm the only one. Um, it's a great place to move to. Do join us. Um, I absolutely love it there. I really do. I would never want to live anywhere else. Um, but one of the minor challenges is our proximity to the lovely A6, which if you're a car driver, you will certainly have experienced in Manchester. They're ahead shaking. There is a lot of traffic in Levenshoom, a phenomenal amount of traffic coming through Levenshoom. There's loads of big vehicles and a fair amount of questionable driving practices. I actually have a friend who actively avoids the stretch of A6 really near our house because of how terrible the driving is near there. Obviously not Matty and I, of course. And I have to confess that I'm that person who, when driving in heavy traffic, I drive like slightly to the right so that I can try and see up the line of cars to understand what's causing the pileup. I kind of crane my head um, to see kind of what's going on at the road. I really can't help myself, even though it's pretty fruitless every single time. And I always kind of recite this phrase that my nana used to say to me, patience is a virtue, Rhiannon which I actually don't quite know what that means, but I think it means that patience is important. Um, I cannot suppress the impulse to try and do something to kind of vent my frustration at the delay. And it gets even worse. If you know when the traffic lights, you can see they've turned green, but the traffic isn't moving yet. And I just get really wound up. Um, so apologies. I'm just confessing my sin to you all. Um, and I'm actually really sorry, there is a point to this, this kind of story. I'm sorry that I do that in my relationship with Jesus as well. Sometimes Jesus wants me to take a stop, a pause, or he leads me into what is essentially a metaphorical traffic jam in my life. There's no way around it, I have to just sit in it. Sometimes circumstances I want to change don't. Sometimes he asks me to do something I don't want to do. 
Sometimes he leads me away. I don't want to go. And what do I do? Well, I metaphorically try to position myself so I can see the route up ahead, so that I can see the full picture. I crane my head. and Sometimes I bump my head against the window. I don't know if anyone else has done that before. Um, so far, it's really never worked. I've been discovering recently something that I think is really key to followership, and it's trust. In followership, there is waiting. There is going down a road we don't know or we didn't choose. There is trust and there is surrender. But as with his care, so with his leadership. We have to stop trying to assume the role of shepherd What is David's advice to us in Psalm 23? He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. First, know that he leads you along the right path. It won't always be the comfortable path or the most attractive path but he definitely leads us along the right one. And again, I think we've known and experienced this as a church. Right from the beginning, God has led us to prioritize the needs of the city above our own. It's certainly not the most comfortable path, and yet surely it's the right one. I believe the 422 Project is a sign of God's trustworthy leadership of us as a church. At its genesis, that was a pretty wild idea, almost too wild. I think we're punching above our weight a little bit, but I love it. God is leading us. He has led us here, and he will continue to lead. And our job is to follow whatever the path looks like. Secondly, even when the going gets rough, we are not alone, and we have resources at our disposal. David proclaims, you are with me. We must not underestimate the power of Jesus' constant nearness and presence in our life. He is always with us. We have all that he is at our disposal all of the time. And let that not be an underutilized reality in our lives. And secondly, your rod and your staff comfort me. Now, I did a little bit of research, and it turns out that a rod and a staff are actually two very different things. Did anybody know that? No? Um, First of all, the rod is a relatively short, heavy, club-like device, which is used by the shepherd to fight off the wild animals, to count and to direct the sheep. It's kind of like a rounder's bat, essentially, have that in your head. The staff is for when the rod isn't working. It's longer and it's thinner with a hook at one end, And sheep, like us, can be resistant to the kind of gentle prod and poke of the rod. And so the staff is available for when the shepherd needs to gently but firmly pull the sheep back into the fold. So the kind of hook goes around their neck, essentially, I think, and they get yanked back by the shepherd. Now, David's use of these things in this psalm is definitely not an accident. He's purposefully directing our attention to how God is at work in our lives In the difficult stretches of the road, God is at work to protect us from opposition and assault. He will and does fight off threats to our safety, and he gently prompts and guides us. He knows who we are and where we are. 
in times when we are in danger of moving off course or potentially ingesting something that will make us ill. Apparently she'd do that. His staff is on hand to scoop us away and back onto the right path. We don't travel alone. We are sheep with a shepherd. I'm afraid I have far too many stories of occasions where I've ignored the loving prompting of God and walked straight into a fall or worse. I'd say I've experienced both the rod and the staff and then the healing balm that's inevitable after the injury that came. Sometimes they come more like a gentle invitation. Other times it's like a jolt, a reminder of his presence and his will for my life. But crucially, like David, they are a comfort to me. I believe a rather unhelpful undercurrent to our culture right now is that discipline is almost an entirely bad thing. But I would say of myself, oh my goodness, do I need discipline. And I'd venture to say that we all do. It is a comfort to me to know that Jesus will discipline me. I long to follow his leadership, and so I need his loving discipline to keep me on the right way. I'm easily distracted, and I can be thrown off course by all sorts of different things, by comparison with others, by the expectations of people in my life, by my desire for stuff, and the list can go on and on. But I thank you, Jesus, that your rod and your staff are there to redirect my focus. I know we've covered a lot of ground with that theme, but I really hope that's helpful. It might be that God is wanting to remind you that he is in the lead. He's out in front, he knows the right way, and he can see all the way to the end of the path. You might find yourself feeling reluctant to follow his leadership, and he's offering you an invitation today to trust. Will you follow? Or maybe for others of you, you have trusted. You are down that path, but it's been a really long road. There's loneliness and there's doubt, and you're longing for a reminder of his proximity. He might feel the opposite of near to you right now. Today might be an opportunity to reach out, to look out for him again, and welcome his loving prompting or reassurance. And like Hetel mentioned earlier, we always make time for getting into the presence of God during our Sunday gatherings. And if any of that resonates, I'd really encourage you to take that opportunity to come to the front at the end of the talk and to allow someone to come alongside you in prayer. God is near and we trust that he will make his presence known to us this morning. So back to Psalm 23. Where does David go next? What's next on God's shepherd's CV? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Even in trying circumstances, even when we feel the breath of our enemies, we can experience the provision and the abundance of God. We can hold firm and literally sit tight and live free and peaceful. The circumstances around us needn't sneak their way into our inner being. We can remain internally at peace even whilst we face external pressure. 
I um, recently spent some time working through all of the Christian biographies that were on our bookshelf, which is a lot. And I was deeply impacted by one book in particular. And it's about a young Christian man who was also a soldier in the Soviet Red Army, which, if you don't know anything about the Soviet Red Army, they're not compatible, Christianity and being in that army. He was um, ruthlessly persecuted, and he was later incarcerated for his faith, and he was martyred in 1972. And his name was Ivan, or Vanya, Moiseev. And um, on one occasion, Vanya's major had ordered him to stand outdoors after lights out until he was willing to apologize for having shared his faith with some of the other soldiers. And he wanted him to recant, to kind of give up his Christian faith. And it was Russia in winter, and the temperature outdoors was 25 degrees below zero, so not a good situation. To add insult to injury, he had to complete those orders in a summer uniform, so just a T-shirt and shorts, essentially. After being outside for two and a half hours, standing and praying in the freezing cold, his attention was distracted by two officers that were coming towards him to check on him. And we pick up the story after Vanya confirms that he would really love to come inside, of course, but he cannot agree to be silent about God. Excitement shook his voice. His hands were cold, but no colder than they had been while dressing in the barracks. He tentatively wiggled his toes. They moved easily without discomfort. A feeling of astonishment grew in him. He looked at the officers in excitement. He could see that even in their coats, they were cold. Another two and a half hours, and he's finally allowed inside. And the uh, senior officer on duty asks him this. What kind of person are you that the cold does not bother you? And Vanya replied, oh, comrade, I am a person just like you. But I prayed to God and was warm. He stayed out in the cold every night like that for almost two weeks. And despite the pressures he faced to deny his faith, like that and many others, actually, he was pressured to remain silent, but it was his quiet and calm disposition that really shocked and moved his comrades. And as I read the book, it was the work of God in his life to bring him peace and joy, despite his circumstances that really undid me. And Stephen's is another powerful testimony in Acts 7. After preaching the good news and directly challenging the status quo, we read this. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Staggeringly, Stephen prays for his attackers, even as they are stoning him to death. Now, I realize these are quite extreme examples, but despite physical pain and severe pressure from the people around them, it amazes me that it's not just grit and determination that we see 
but actual joy, peace, and forgiveness? Could it be that even in the most difficult times of our lives, we can experience joy? And I believe that as God is shepherding us, as he cares for us and leads us, we really can. Finally, David points us to the long game. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. I don't think that's a word we use particularly often, not often on my lips anyway, and not definitely with the full weight of what that means. Forever. Said another way, eternity. Or time without end. The on and on and on and on and on and on of time. It turns out that God is shepherding us on a path without end. And we have to keep that perspective. We have to fight for it. We have to cling to it and grasp a hold of it and never let go. We can say with true conviction that whatever circumstances we face here and now, they are temporary compared with the future we're gearing up for. I heard a friend say to me recently, this is as bad as it's going to get, which if you think about it, is actually good news. Just keep it going in your mind until you get there. Essentially, whatever we're going through, whether it's good or bad, what's up ahead is so much better. And I think that's what this shepherding thing is all about. His leadership and care is for a purpose. It has a direction. It's a taste now of what we're going to experience in HD, 5G, surround sound in the life to come. It's steak on your plate while you wait, but a 24-hour all-you-can-eat buffet when the waiting is over. Right now, the Good Shepherd, his love and his goodness, lead us and lift us. But forever, we will dwell in his presence, in his house where his will and reign is felt in every moment, of every space, in every place. Hello, chaps. Oh, I'm back. <laughs> Just having some fun back there, aren't you? Just reminding us that you're still there. Little applause for our sound and media team, guys. I bet they hated that. Great. Oh, that was a good point I was making, friends. You just ruined my flow. Every space, every place, every heart, you guys get the gist. Everywhere. So, <laughs> this is not a normal thing to happen in a talk. Recently, um, Jesus has taken me on a journey of discovering this whole kind of eternal perspective in a whole new way. How the hope of my future can change how I experience my presence today. How I can know joy in the waiting, in the hardship and the unknown. How I can know deep down in the core of my being that all is well, all is truly well, regardless of what pain I feel in the moment. Now, I'm definitely, I'm not there yet. I haven't got it nailed, but I'm definitely not where I used to be. We have a hope that endures. And Peter speaks of this amazingly. And this beautiful future hope in his, in his first letter, and this is what he writes. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth 
into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer in all kinds of trials. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So there we have it. Psalm 23 revisited. The Lord is our shepherd. We are the sheep. And we need him. We need his care and his leadership, which he gladly lavishes upon us. He stays close and he provides us with all that we need to follow him. His leadership is trustworthy and he always leads us on the right path. Even when following him is costly, we have both a present comfort and a future hope. He is all of those things right here and now today. Just as he was to David. And I believe there's an invitation to us today just to enjoy it, to trust that these things are true and to trust him. We needn't live in fear when the shepherd is right beside us. And I wonder, will we turn to see him afresh today? Strong and loving, full of care and leadership and right here. Would you stand? just want to take some time to enjoy God's presence, to bring our needs and our desires to him. So you might just want to take a bit of time to prepare for that. We've got loads of time. If you've got little ease, you've got loads of time. Lord, we just welcome your your presence in this place. Your shepherding is just all over this morning. With the even the kids are talking about it this morning, and just have um, some people praying over over us before we meet and as we meet. And um, there's just a verse that was shared um, that they felt the Lord was saying, "Surely." Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And just how the Lord wants to quieten the noise for some of us, bringing us into a place of his rest, and that he wants to speak his promises over us, that his goodness will follow you all the days of your life. So Lord, we just rest in that. Jesus. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.